On Wednesday, September 7th, crowds gathered in San Francisco to protest. They wanted to voice their anger at the continued injustices faced by the Palestinians under the apartheid regime of the Israeli state. Specifically, the crowds in San Francisco and other locations across the US came to protest the collaboration between Israel and US tech giants such as Amazon and Google. One of those speaking on Wednesday was Ariel Corrin. Thank you so much, everyone who is here today. We are here representing the hundreds of workers and community members, sending our message to Google and Amazon loud and clear, no tech for apartheid. Ariel is one of the leading voices against the collaboration between America's big tech and Israel and has paid the price for her activism. This week, we're exploring how US tech giants are working with Israel and contributing to the apartheid, and how companies like Google are seeking to silence its workers who speak out. My name is Hugo Goodridge. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. The seeds of Wednesday's protest action were first planted back in 2021. In April of that year, it was announced that Google and Amazon had won a lucrative contract to provide cloud computing services to the Israeli government. The two companies beat out rivals Microsoft and Oracle for the $1.2 billion contract. The deal was signed the following month. It was known as Project Nimbus. Yeah, so basically, as we, as much as we know that it's basically giving cloud service and storage services from uh, uh, Google and Amazon to the Israeli government. This is Nadim Nashif, the director general of Hamle, a Palestinian NGO involved in digital advocacy and defending digital rights. Nadim explained that Project Nimbus would be available to Israel's civil ministries, but not just them. Uh, but it also includes giving services and hosting and uh, storage and cloud services also for the security, for the Israeli security forces, including the secret services, the army, etc., who, as we all know, are very much engaged in the occupation in 1967 areas. And this information and these tools are used also to control and to oppress Palestinian people. Project Nimbus, in the hands of the Israeli military, will allow them to expand and increase the surveillance and, ultimately, persecution of the Palestinian people. Israel has not publicly stated how it intends to use Project Nimbus, but training documents produced by Google indicate that Project Nimbus will give Israel the technology needed for facial detection, automated image categorization, object tracking and even sentiment analysis. By the nature of the apartheid system enforced by Israel, the Palestinians already live in a surveillance state, but this deal would allow it to be greatly expanded with near-constant surveillance. With Project Nimbus, it is claimed that not only can the movements and actions of individuals be monitored, but also their emotions. Project Nimbus claims that its AI technology is able to discern the inner feelings of an individual from facial expressions and movements and statements. Such claims have often been rejected 
not only for being highly invasive, but also for being pseudoscientific. Nadim again. Palestinians are living in a kind of dystopy, uh, technological dystopy, of uh, being controlled by applications, by by technology. Um, you know, developing these kind of cutting-edge technologies, but uh, testing them on on people rather than for the benefit of humanity, but more for the control, for the oppression. Uh, and unfortunately, this industry, again, maybe once the occupation of, of Palestinians was a problem of Palestinians, but now more and more, this occupation is a global problem because it creates the tools that also many other oppressive regimes are using, including some of the Arab regimes who are buying these technologies uh, and through them oppressing uh, their political opponents. It's true. Israel has, in effect, turned Palestine into a testing ground for tools of oppression. Successes there can be used in any sales pitches when promoting such technology beyond its borders. This was seen with the NSO Group, an Israeli company that created the Pegasus hacking software, which was later found in mobile devices of human rights defenders and political activists around the world. The decision to join Google and Amazon is part of a growing trend in Israel's arsenal of oppression, which is becoming increasingly reliant on technology. It's a much growing tool because it's less visible and it takes time to find it and to understand it. Also, some of it is a complicated technology that you need a very much specialized people. You know, it's not just a violation that happens on the street and then there is a researcher or a journalist or somebody who's documenting it. Uh, It is something that's happening in a very sophisticated way. And then you need people with a very uh, specific set of skills that they can cope with it and analyze it. And and that's why this is developing. And adding to that, um, the other side of it is the money. I mean, this is a huge industry, uh, a very lucrative one. And uh, and that's why it's also uh, developing. As details of Project Nimbus have become known and the impact that it will have on Palestinians better understood... Outrage has simultaneously increased among Palestinians and pro-Palestine activists. But Project Nimbus has also faced dissent and objection from within. My name is Ariel Koren. I was a product marketing manager at Google for seven years, first on Google Translate and then on the Google for Education team. Ariel was working at Google when the deal with Israel was first announced and quickly realised what impact it would have on Palestinian rights. It, it became clear pretty early on because of the Israeli government itself was saying that they were going to have it be used by the military. And because of also the way that the contract was reported on, we discovered that there is a clause within the contract that states that Google has no right to regulate the way that the technology gets used. So they're essentially required to build out tools that are extremely powerful and then to hand over those tools to a government and military that is violating human rights on a daily basis, violating international laws on a daily basis and carrying out apartheid. But then, you know, Google is wiping its hands of any sort of responsibility to regulate the way that the technology gets used. And that clause also stipulates that Google can't regulate which agency becomes a beneficiary. So like, for example, once in Israeli hands, Project Nimbus could be handed to the army, the security services or the Israeli Land Authority which is responsible for overseeing the expansion of illegal settlements. The New Arab Voice asked Google about Project Nimbus. In a written response, they said, 
The contract is for workloads running on our commercial platform by Israeli government ministries such as finance, healthcare, transportation and education. Our work is not directed at highly sensitive or classified military workloads relevant to weapons or intelligence services. We also asked Google why the contract did not prevent their technology from being shared with military or security elements, but they provided no answer. Preceding the signing of the deal in May 2021, numerous reports from prominent human rights organisations, including Human Rights Watch and the Israeli NGO Betselem, had branded Israel's actions as apartheid. But even if Israel did choose to ignore these reports, unfolding events at the time could not be ignored. Israel had just concluded a brutal bombing campaign on Gaza that had killed 256 people, including 67 children. I mean, this would have been concerning at any time, but the way it played out, it was an extremely just like intense moment because even before Project Nimbus had occurred, the way that the company handled the siege on Gaza was an absolute disaster. I mean, we were seeing executives as high up as Sundar and Susan Wojcicki, the CEO of YouTube. That's Sundar Pichai, CEO of Google, and Susan Wojcicki, CEO of YouTube. Issuing statements like during the siege on Gaza where they were just like expressing concern explicitly for Israelis, but like erasing Palestinians from the equation, like not even mentioning the existence of Palestinians. During the period when Gaza was being bombed and the Project Nimbus deal was being signed, Employees across Google, whether Palestinian, Jewish, Israeli or simply supportive of Palestinian rights, found themselves to be the targets of harassment. But what was happening during that month was just like an intensified kind of iteration of what has been playing out systemically across the company at other times as well. But it was just much, much more intensified because of the the escalation of violence. You know, Palestinians would just like send emails about the fear that they had for their family in like a diversity space and they would literally be harassed and then they were reported into HR they were issued HR warnings I mean it was just it was just awful and anti-Zionist Jews at the time were also being harassed when Project Nimbus was announced and its ramifications became clear Google employees started to speak out albeit internally some of these employees went on to share their stories of harassment with the group Jewish Diaspora in tech. Fearing further reprisals, their stories were told by actors. Google's Project Nimbus will be a big, ugly moment in Google's history and a shameful and embarrassing engagement. Working at Google was always my dream job until I learned about Project Nimbus. I feel like I'm making my living off the oppression of my family back home. Countless employees have tried to speak out about violations that Palestinians have endured and have been intentionally ignored. So when opaque military contracts arise like Project Nimbus, it makes me feel like I am working for the bad guy. It has become impossible to express any opinion of disagreement of the war waged on Palestinians without being As a Palestinian, my feelings of marginalization only grew when I began seeing my co-workers issued warnings. I'd shared an internal fundraiser in a Google-wide forum. I was told that the phrase, support Palestine, was offensive and anti-Semitic. When the violence in Gaza escalated in May of 2021, I started to notice just how discriminatory Google is against Palestinians. Project Nimbus makes me feel ashamed to work here. 
I just hope our company will stop ignoring its own workers and do the right thing. Ariel Koren was one of the founders of the Jewish Diaspora in Tech group, started in May 2020, and had campaigned on a number of issues with this group and as part of other collectives. Ariel campaigned against false narratives of Jewish identity used by Google to justify systematic harm against Palestinians and other marginalised workers within the company, and also against Google's decision to apologise for donating to the movement for black lives following the murder of George Floyd. A Jewish employees group within Google had lodged an official complaint that such a donation was anti-Semitic because the movement for black lives had expressed solidarity with Palestinian-led groups. Numerous employees have claimed that diversity employment schemes within the company have been weaponized and used to silence others with dissenting opinions. Ariel's actions were noticed by Google, and she, like many others in the company, found herself targeted. And the other thing that was playing out on the personal level was that on my team, there was like a major issue of harassment and discrimination. And I had reported an executive on my team to HR. And ultimately, my report led to like this really, really intense investigation where like over 10 witnesses came forward and he ultimately was fired. And my team, the folks who like he reported into felt like, you know, the status quo again had been challenged. Like there had been like a, a check to the, to the powers that be and this, this man had been t- like fired and they just weren't happy. Eventually, the alleged culture of harassment at Google proved too exhausting. So just the toxicity and the hostility from both like within my team culture and also like within the way that like I was seeing anti-Zionist Jews being treated and the way that my Palestinian colleagues were being treated, like all of it was kind of creating for me like uh, an experience of burnout and ultimately depression and anxiety when I was in my workspace. So I ended up taking a disability leave that was um, in July of 2021. While on disability leave, Ariel continued to work with an anti-militarism group within her union. These efforts included starting a petition that called on Google to engage in transparency about Project Nimbus and ultimately rescind the contract. 800 Google workers signed the petition and a further 37,500 members of the public also added their names. Basically, in November of 2021, I spoke out publicly I was one of just two workers to publicly like put my name on this work to denounce Project Nimbus and was like the only worker who was really visible, like with my name and with my face speaking out. And then two weeks after speaking out publicly, I returned to the company um, from disability leave. And on my second day back, that was when my manager told me in, in my welcome back meeting that the company had decided while I was gone to move my role overseas effective immediately and that I would lose my job if I didn't commit to moving from San Francisco to Sao Paulo within 17 days. After seven years at Google, Ariel was told that her job had been moved to Sao Paulo and that she must move her entire life or quit her job. And then on, on the second day, like even though I'd been given 17 days on the second day, he started communicating to the team that I was going to be leaving. So like he was already telling the team I was leaving, even though like I had never said anything. I had never told him I would leave. And when I confronted him, he was like, oh, you mean you'd actually consider moving to Sao Paulo? 
Cause I told him like, why are you saying I'm leaving? And he's like, you mean you'd actually consider moving to South Florida? And I'm like, I thought the whole point was that I'm actually supposed to move to South Florida. Like, it's just clear that the intention was never that I would really move. It was just to get rid of me. Ariel remains convinced that it was Google's intention to force her out of her job in retaliation for speaking out against Project Nimbus. The new Arab voice asked Google about these claims. They denied that the decision was retaliatory and in an emailed response said that, quote, our investigation found that there was no retaliation here. No, they're denying any sort of wrongdoing. They're denying any sort of retaliation. They're just saying it was a business need, that it was urgent. I was urgently needed in, in Sao Paulo. Um, but I talked to folks who were based in the Sao Paulo office and they were all like, we're all working from home. It's the middle of Omicron. Like, you know, it was the surge of the Omicron variant. Like, it was still in the middle of COVID. Like, no one was working from the office. They're like, this makes no sense. This is clearly retaliation for your activism. Like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And like, Google, you know, to this day has never been able to articulate the business justification. They just, they keep saying, well, the Brazil business grew, so we needed you there. Ariel was eventually told by HR that the manner in which her employment had been handled was harmful and wrongly executed, but refused to admit that the action taken against her was retaliatory. Ariel believes that this was an attempt on their part to avoid any legal liability. In my opinion, denying it just makes it worse because it's just made my coworkers like more angry. Because I think Google really wanted to silence not only me, but they wanted to send a message to other workers who are engaged in generally across the board, like holding the company accountable for its own behaviors, but also like be like workers who want to speak out for Palestinian rights and challenge Google's business interests with the Israeli military and government. I think they were trying to send a message to all those workers, like you will be punished. This, however, did not go to plan. But ultimately, the opposite effect happened. They weren't able to silence their workforce. What happened when they retaliated against me is that more people actually became aware of Project Nimbus and it raised more alarm bells. So my, all of my coworkers like really rose up in solidarity with me. Almost 800 people like circulated and signed a petition internally. 25,000 people signed a public petition as well. And also my coworkers like successfully lobbied a congressperson who represents Google's headquarter districts to email the company to rescind the act of retaliation against me. So it was really just across the board. What Google did was not really in keeping with its interests of silencing the workforce because the opposite is happening. Ariel found herself stuck in limbo at Google, with the tech giant still holding a forced move to Sao Paulo over her head. At the end of August this year, Ariel Corrin resigned from Google. She published her resignation letter online. She wrote... Since the launch of Nimbus, leading human rights groups like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch have echoed what Palestinian activists and the global community have said for decades. Israel is an apartheid state. Even in the wake of the growing mainstream acknowledgement of Israeli apartheid, Google has stood by its contracts with the Israeli government and military. The world's largest search engine is contracting with the military actively carrying out war crimes and upholding apartheid, while workers have no say in how the technology we provide them is used. She concluded, 
I have made the difficult decision to leave the company as a result of all of this. I have borne constant witness to a pattern of retaliation against workers who stand up for Palestinian rights and for holding the Israeli government and military accountable. Google has consistently sustained a culture of silencing anti-Zionist Jews and creating toxic and unjust conditions for Palestinian, Arab and Muslim workers at Google, all while ignoring the widespread internal and public dissent against the company's complicity in Israel's apartheid violence via Project Nimbus. Anti-Zionist Jews at Google will not stop speaking out against Israel's injustices against Palestinians. But we acknowledge our privilege to do so safely, while our Palestinian colleagues and friends are not afforded the same privilege to feel safe and be heard. Because I thought about, well, I'll just kind of quit. But then I was like, no, when I resign, I really need to share with as many colleagues and people as possible the truth about all the factors that led to this, because it needs to be known and something's got to give like this culture of suppression and people just weaponizing anti-Semitism, the company weaponizing false narratives of Jewish identity. It needs to it needs to be challenged. And two of the things that I and sharing her story made an impact. Other people saw it. They read her resignation letter. They empathized with her struggle and with the struggle of the Palestinians. A great example I can give is that the Alphabet Workers Union had not taken a formal stand on Palestine. And the day of my resignation was the day they officially announced that they're taking a public stand for anti-Zionism because we had been organizing again on this for a long time. And like many of us are union members. And even though on the individual level, like my experience at least has been that most union members, I can't speak for everyone, but like I haven't encountered any union members who like don't identify with anti-Zionism or who don't support Palestinian rights, but you know, it's more of an individual thing, like the union as a whole had not really adopted any sort of stance. And the reason for that is because being the alphabet workers union, like being a union within Google, like it's hard as it is. And I think the the consensus was like, people were too scared that like, if they took this stance officially as the union, then it could be actually something that could cause like a lot of harassment, a lot of, it would just add yet another institutional obstacle due to the deeply ingrained culture of censorship that exists around this issue. I think when I resigned, so much attention was brought to the fact that you can't really separate labor organizing from Palestine organizing. Like the way that the private sector in the United States works, the way that like money and capitalism in the United States works is and Europe and really across the world is such that like you can't really separate it from the fight for Palestinian freedom. And so like the Alphabet Workers Union like can't really not have a stance on this. And especially with my case, like Ariel is no longer within Google. But she does believe that her resignation and the impact it's had on the workers who remain at the company will lead to a lasting change in culture at the tech giant. So I think that bubble is bursting now at Google because my resignation letter like really exposed the degree to which this weaponization of these false narratives of diversity are actually just harming people and above all harming Palestinians and justifying not only harming Palestinians within the company but justifying the harm that Google is is profiting off of the harm of harming Palestinians on the ground who are supposedly our users and supposedly they're a community that we're supposed to be serving not harming So where does all of this leave us, and the Palestinians, with Project Nimbus? Can it be stopped? Maybe. There is a precedent in Google's history. In 2018, Google gave in to employee pressure and withdrew from Project Maven, 
a Pentagon contract that used Google AI technology to aid US drone strikes. And in 2019, Google confirmed it had ceased operations, again after employee pressure, on Project Dragonfly, a planned search engine that was being developed by Google, which would have been compatible with China's state censorship provisions. So there, those are two like really solid examples of Google like listening when people show when workers show Google like we're going to quit. This is our labor. You can't do anything without our labor. You know, it works like worker organizing really does work. Um, the women's walkout is another example. Like I think things are far from being OK for women at the company. I mean, I would be an example of that. The fact that like Google comes down really hard on women and like many of many, if not most and almost all of the really high profile retaliation cases have been women and mostly in most cases, black and brown women as well. You know, the women's walkout was an example of a time when there were 20,000 people who walked out due to harassment and Google immediately addressed the harassment issues after the walkout and changed its policies around like how they investigate harassment at the company. There is actually precedent for Google, you know, doing the right thing when enough workers and the general public to coalesce and and tell Google that they have to do the right thing. Um, It's unfortunate that in the case of the Women's Walk and also these other two projects, Project Dragonfly and Project Maven, every single person who like led those efforts has been fired. So there's not a single person left who led the efforts against Project Maven, against Project Dragonfly or the Women's Walkout. None none remains in the company now because they were all driven out in ways pretty similar to how they drove me out. Ariel is currently out of a job. And for the moment... Project Nimbus appears to be going ahead. But Ariel doesn't regret her decision, nor is she apologetic. Workers shouldn't have to choose between their job and supporting human rights. And workers shouldn't come into the office on a Monday to discover that they are now military contractors. Ariel appears content, and her convictions are as strong as ever. I don't want it to be a chilling effect, and I want everyone to know, like, you really should speak out if you can. If you can do so safely, you should speak out. Like, people are going to have your back. I haven't once felt alone throughout this process. Like, my coworkers, and they were the ones who said, don't quit, don't give up, you have to fight this. So that's why, like, it's now September of 2022, and I fought this starting in November of 2021. Like, I've been fighting this for almost a year before I had to make the decision to resign, but it's because I had, like, a whole infrastructure of workers who were supporting me and fighting it. And like there, there was a protester at the protest whose sign said ending apartheid is worth losing your job. And honestly, it is like I, I don't want workers to have this chilling effect of like, I'll never get a job again if I take a stand like it. You, you should absolutely take a stand if you feel privileged enough to do so and, and that it's safe to do so. And to quote one of my Palestinian co-workers and friends who put out a statement, they said at the end of their statement, you have a voice and you have the responsibility to use it when those less privileged than you are the ones whose livelihoods and jobs are on the line. And I think this applies to like so many folks I work with at Google who are still choosing silence and apathy over action. I would say like, you know, reflect on the amount of privilege and comfort that you have. And then the amount of privilege and comfort that is denied to the people on the ground who are going to be harmed by this violent contract. And when you think about it from that perspective, I think it's pretty, it's pretty clear what needs to be done.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The New Arab Voice. It was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge, with additional help from Rosie McCabe. Our theme music was by Omar Al Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region.